Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. For us to go into the, one of the most core scriptures in the entire Bible. So I believe that there are, are, are two chapters that are read more than any other in, in the entire Bible. One is Genesis 1, because at the beginning of the year, everyone decides they should read the Bible, and we know Genesis 1 gets read. And then the second one is the most advertised Bible verse that that we see in the chapter is John chapter 3. Uh, We know this because after uh, Tim Tebow had the famous John 3.16, and after he was finishing his last college game before he went pro for a little while... Uh, he had this huge explosion all over the internet of people searching up, what is John 3.16? And people have read this chapter um, so many times, and it is such a core chapter about salvation. And this video shows us what salvation is, what it looks like, what it, it could potentially look like in your life, in the workplace, or at home, a change begins to take place. And if you, if you have your bulletin there uh, today, I called it just, we're in the Gospel of John for those of you who haven't been here or been with us, and this part is called disruption. Disruption. And uh, may, maybe you've noticed it in your personal life that when you think back to memories, a lot of times what triggers our memories are some kind of disruption in our life. So like when I think back of the best times of my life, I can't really remember a whole lot. You know, it was just, it was, things were good, right? Things are good. You, you don't, there's really, you know, things were fine, not, no big deal. But it's when a massive change or disruption happens in our life, we can go right back to that spot in just a moment. And another thing that triggers it is music. So you think about you're driving in the car, a song comes on, and you can go right back to that moment. Maybe you were going through a really hard time, and for some of you who are a little on the, you know, maybe in the 40s, 50s, you went through a bad breakup, what album did you listen to? Come on, Chicago, right? I mean, some of you, you hear that song in Chicago, and you're like, oh man, I remember that breakup, and this was the song that got me through the moment. Okay, some of you, come on. You know you were listening. I was. (laughs) But, But there's also good disruptions. There's good disruptions and things that were monumental and changed our life. But, but watch this. For those of you who, um, are old enough, if I asked you where you were when you heard that John F. Kennedy had been shot and assassinated, I bet you could remember just like that, right? Some of you are shaking your heads. You remember exactly that moment. How about for some of you that you remember when you were in school or, or you were watching live as, as we saw the space shuttle Challenger go up, and within minutes, shock around the entire United States and around the world. Some of you can remember that moment exactly where you are. And for me, it's like this tunnel vision. I can remember where I was in the hallway in my school where I was and people were just crying and it was just really emotional. 
I mean, 9-11, if you were alive, you know, I mean, all of us that were there, that were just anywhere and working, and we could, we could all have a story about where we were and what we were doing that day and how you found out and who told you. It's a disruption. And there are so many people that feel the same disruption when, for the first time, we had an African-American president of the United States People can tell you where they were and where they celebrated that now people of their own skin color were represented in our nation in a time that they had always felt to be a minority. Now this disruption in their life was so exciting and exhilarating that it marked them in their lives forever. And now we have, those are more conglomerate, big picture moments that we can share as a people, as a culture, as a nation, but there's also personal ones of just wonderful celebration of, of new relationships, maybe graduation, your first job, kids, what, whatever it may be, exciting things, but it, they literally change your life. Anything that's a first, right? Your first car. I bet you remember your first car. Some of you had that terrible car passed down from your parents. It was so embarrassing with the wood paneling on the side. You're like, may nobody ever see me in this car. You're very thankful that social media wasn't around, right, to capture those terrible moments. But then there's also the bad disruptions. And we think of disruptions as bad, but they're not. They're not all bad. It's like consequences. You work hard, you do well, right? You, you, you put the time in and things go, that's a consequence. The consequences are also negative, right? Positive and negative. And so anytime there's loss, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of somebody that, that we had just spent so much time with and they, they just they go off the rails and it, and it feels like a loss and that hurts us. It's a disruption. It, it shakes us. There was a, there was a man that, that I had looked at as an elder in a, in a church and um, he was one of the, the oldest men and it was a pretty young congregation but I, I had worked for him on his farm. I had, I had just you know, really gotten close to him. And he started making terrible decisions. Broke up the family, broke up his marriage of like 30-some years, and it shook me to the core. It shook me to the core. How, how could somebody do this? Why? why? And, it, and it, that was such a disruption in my life. And I thought, if this person could do it, so could I. I'm just being real. Let's, let's be real. Let's be honest about who we are as people. If he could mess up and do something like this, I could too. I need to guard my marriage. I need to, I need to guard my heart. Disruptions in all of us have faced disruptions in our lives. I love, I love in this video that, that he shared about the scripture and the Holy Spirit and, and, and just the way that the, the Lord worked and people around him to bring him in. He said, I am a royal priesthood. He said, I'm precious in the sight of the Lord. I'm not stupid and either are my co-workers. In fact, they're loved and I should be encouraging them. There's no program that he had to go through to be taught that. He started to read his Bible and the Holy Spirit began to speak to him and now his ministry began to change. Now, some of you here, actually probably many of you can attest to this. You can talk about when your life changed and people began to see a difference. I, I remember I was, I was working at a place and 
I, I was a, a Christian, but I would say that I had let my Christian faith just kind of take a back seat. And, you know, I went to church and I, I, I did the things I'm supposed to do, but I started to realize that my conversations started to become just a part of the regular conversations happening at work. And little by little, all of a sudden, one day, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to my heart. It's like, what are you doing? And I was participating in these vile conversations. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so from there on, the Lord started working on my heart. A change started to happen. And as soon as conversations like that began, I would just leave. I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't announcing, thus saith the Lordeth, I'm going to goeth and be holy, for God is holy. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't do that. I just said, okay, I'm out. Oh, I'm out. I'm not. Oh, I, I do want to say this because it'd be funny. Nope, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And within weeks, the dynamic began to shift in my workplace. People started, when, they, when I would start approaching, they would change the subject altogether. Like, I didn't even say anything. I just left. And so the way that we respond to people, the things that we participate in, began to actually make a difference like this man was showing us. Now, we are looking at disruptions, and we're going to see this right here in John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to, the, up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cord, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned their temples. And he told those who sold the pigeons, he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days, so remember he says, destroy this temple. This temple. He doesn't say the physical temple. He just said this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So a few things about John's eyewitness account of this situation. Remember, the gospel of John. John was here. John was one of his disciples. He's not, this message is not relayed from another disciple. He is, this is his eyes, his experience, and he is talking about it. He says that this is not a random act that Jesus did, and we have to try and apply meaning to. He quotes Psalms 69.9, For zeal... For your house consumes me. It's not just a random act. That he is, everything that Jesus did was confirming who he was as master and savior and Messiah. And also John 20, 31 tells us about the book of John. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the sole reason for this book of the Bible. So John makes it very clear. So if you're familiar with the, with the gospel accounts, you may remember that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. So his ministry started, 
it says that the Holy Spirit, it, it, was, it was just like pushing him out, that he just went out to the desert for these 40 days. And in that time, we know that this was this great temptation and that Satan demanded that he provide a sign to prove who he was. And, and Jesus quoted scripture and he said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, our God, or your God to the test. And then in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, it says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Satan is known as the deceiver. His power is deceit. From the beginning through the end, we see the only power that he has over us is to deceive us. And so as he comes in the last days, he will come with signs and wonders to deceive people. And so when, when Jesus is in the temple, here the religious leaders are saying, what sign do you have to show? The same thing that Satan did just a bit earlier. Lastly, about this, about this scripture here, and potentially the most impactful to us today is the part of turning over the tables in the temple. Now, Jews traveled from faraway places just to come to this temple and to do their sacrifices and it was part of an obligation that they had to do this. So it, is, it was not bad that they had all sorts of animals there to help people make their sacrifices. Because in order to do a sacrifice, it had to be perfect. The animal had to be flawless. And to come from miles and miles and weeks and weeks and weeks of travel by foot, these animals could be injured. And if you have a lot of kids, it could be really difficult. So they were actually providing a service. And that wasn't Jesus' problem. The problem was where it was being held. It, it had become a zoo where the house of God, where this is supposed to be a place of prayer, a, a place of changing money and making money. And here it's being done right there where they are supposed to be making this a place of prayer. But in this, and this is what's so important, Jesus points out where the future of the temple is. And he talks about his temple being destroyed and being raised three days later. Now, of course, they said, this has taken 46 years. Who do you think you are? And then right then it says that after it says the disciples realized and remembered what Jesus had said, that he was talking actually about his body, not the physical temple. So here's my question for you with the theme of, of disruption we just read the scripture together, so it's fresh in our minds. We know that the temple he was talking about was his body, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. This is where we get the statement, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Don't you think that if Jesus went into the temple and turned over tables, don't you think for a second that when he comes into our life that there's going to be a table or two disrupted? Don't you think that he's going to come in and say, yeah, we need to move some things around, Dale. 
you, you got a mess in here. Dale, what were you thinking over here? This, this is not godly. He comes into our lives and there is a disruption. There is a change that begins to take place because his spirit is beginning to manifest in our lives. And there is a disruption that begins to take place. Some of you experience this in your Christian walk. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart. And it's like if saying, I don't think we're going to do this anymore. Right? Right, Dale? Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's, we, we call this the, the process of sanctification. God's continued work in us. The question is, are we listening to what Jesus and his Spirit is saying to us? So the question is, what right... And I guess this is the question that maybe some of us say to God. We said the prayer, right? We said, oh, Lord, we want you to come into our lives. We said the singer's prayer. Maybe even we cried. And then we're like, well, what, what right and what sign do you have, Jesus, to tell me not to do this? We start sounding like the religious leaders. Well, well, Jesus, I mean... I know that I probably shouldn't, you know, or maybe you want me to do that, but is it really that big of a deal? Jesus, how about you show me a sign so I know not to do this anymore? See how our language can become so much similar to these people in, in Scripture? So John laid out this book with this demonstration of Jesus' passion in the temple, revealing his emphasis on holiness, the zeal for the house of God that leads right in to the most famous and quotable chapter and verse in the Bible. And this is John chapter 3. So we're going to go and, and uh, let's go to John 3, starting at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then why don't you read this with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So I want you to follow Nicodemus for a second. 
He meets by night because he knows that as a religious leader, him following Jesus would out him. He could be kicked out of his leadership position. This would disrupt his life in a violent way. So first he starts by questioning. He wants to know more. Some of us, when we were in that place, you began to question, you began to seek, trying to figure out your faith. Next it goes to believing. And then it goes to following. We're gonna, I'm going to show you the difference between believing and, and following. So we can, we can first follow the path of him in chapter 3, so the questioning that we just read here. <clears throat> then it goes into chapter 7, that he actually influences the council on Jesus' behalf for him to be able to get um, the rights that he should have. And then we see all the way to chapter 19 that he is the one, Nicodemus is one of the ones that brings all the spices, 75 pounds of spices to help bury Jesus. He stayed for those years through the end because I believe that he became a follower of Jesus. And some of you are like, okay, well, I believe, right? Isn't, isn't that enough? Well, l- let me give you a couple examples. So one can believe that smoking is bad, right? I, think, I don't think anybody really argues that, at least not anymore, but we can continue smoking, right? I believe it. I, I, I know it. One, one can know that eating and exercise, eating well, eating right and exercise will benefit us, help us live longer, more fulfilling, active lives. We know that, right? We know that, but how many of you are like me and you're like, man, ice cream is really good right now and later, <laughs> and maybe a little bit, a little later. <laughs> Amen. Right? We, we know, we know, but is it enough to actually do it? I believe it, and I know it. I've seen the studies. I've read it. I've seen, I've seen it in my own body, right? I believe it, but have I done enough to follow it and to make the change? In the same way, we believe and know that Jesus, uh, who Jesus is w- without following him. You, so you may ask, why, why would anybody believe in Jesus, but not follow him? Well, it's because there's a cost. It's disruptive. It's disruptive. It, it takes that, that time for us to start saying, Lord, I know I need to make some changes here, but I need to go from knowing that I need to make a change to actually making that change, and it's hard. Disruption is one that marks our lives forever. Born of flesh and spirit, we just read in John chapter 3. So we have a natural birth that makes us citizens of earth. And then we have a spiritual birth that makes us born of God. In John 3, is not encouraging us to just turn over a new leaf. Or, we want you to live your best life now. We don't read that in Scripture. Be the best version of you. How many of you have heard that one? Be, be your best version, right? Those things sound good. I mean, a lot of us, we like to get better. We want to be all that God has created us to be. So there's no problem with that. But no matter how hard we physically try to do our best or whatever it is, we are still a natural man. We are still flesh and bone, born of my father. 
born of my mother. The second birth can only come from heaven. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus. You must be born again. And and he went right to practical things. What do you mean? I got to enter my mom? That's impossible. I can't do that. And Jesus is trying to get him to change the way that he he thinks. And the Bible says in, in what we just read here, spirit gives birth to spirit. Just as a dog can only produce another dog, an apple seed will never produce an orange seed. These oranges can only reproduce something like them. And just as our human nature cannot produce a spiritual man, only God can. Only his spirit, breathing his pneuma spirit into us, can we create, can God create a spiritual man from this? Man can give birth to man, but God gives birth to a spirit man, being born again. Maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, I know spiritual people. Well, sure, I do too. We, we already talked about earlier that there is deception. There, there's, there is deception that Satan can come as an angel of light, it says in 2 Corinthians. That he is here to destroy, to, to bring illusions that do not exist, to get people off of the path of following the Spirit of God. So, of course, there are people that are spirit that are hungry for spiritual things because we were designed to follow a spiritual God, to follow his Holy Spirit, to become like our Father in heaven. The only way is to be born again. And you know what? You can try all day long to be born again, but it cannot happen without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is the only way for us truly to be born again. And that is where the second birth comes. The second birth that, that we as believers believe in and know to become a son of the Most High. And lastly today, we're going to look at what John was doing here. And I believe that John was making a very pointed contrast in scripture because we see we go from the salvation the painful salvation experience of turning over tables a disruption in our life to him walking through with a religious leader of Nicodemus and then in chapter 3 it goes again to John the Baptist declaring who Jesus is and then we get to chapter 4 and this is what Jana was able to speak about a couple weeks ago with the Samaritan woman the woman at the well could you put up that Slide for me, please. So here we see Nicodemus on the left and the Samaritan woman on the right. I want you to look at the differences here that John is showing in contrast when it comes to salvation. Nicodemus, he was a man. He was the right gender. A woman at that time is, is property. He, he could just pick and choose and, and he, could, he had all of the rights. The woman, she's the wrong gender. So already there's a problem. Jesus wasn't supposed to be talking to her at the well. Authority. Nicodemus was one of wealth and authority. He was in in one of the biggest factions that there was at that time in the Jewish leadership. She was a woman with no authority. She had no power over anybody. 
Nicodemus was wealthy. She was poor. Nicodemus was very educated. She's uneducated. Nicodemus had the right pedigree. He was of the right tribe to be in the right place and to be holding a place of power. She was of the wrong lineage. She was a Samaritan woman, one who's looked down upon. Nicodemus is the right class. She is the wrong class. We have right here what a lot of the fighting is going on in our own country. We have a divide. I bet you that they would be voting for different people. Right? And they would be going on Twitter and they would be arguing with each other and they would be talking about their different stances based on their own situation and life experiences. Right? But what happens when we look at John? Jesus meets personally with Nicodemus. His gender, his authority, his wealth, his education, his pedigree, and his class actually work against him. He doesn't understand. Then Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman. The wrong gender, no authority, poor, educated, wrong lineage, wrong class. Doesn't help her either. Every one of us, every person on this planet has to face Jesus, has to stand before God. And as we see, and as the scripture says, that Jesus is no respecter of persons. When it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter. And I believe that John, the eyewitness of these situations, is pointing out and saying, look it, it doesn't matter if you're Nicodemus or a woman who's had five husbands and has been living loosely and living like she knows she shouldn't live. It doesn't matter because when you come face to face with Jesus, you still have a decision to make. And it is disruptive. Unfortunately, in America, I can't speak about other countries and the way that they've um, explained the gospel We've tried to make the gospel of Jesus Christ palatable. And we've tried to make um, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ something so simple and, and so we just don't want you ever to feel uncomfortable. We don't want you ever to maybe squirm in your seat a little bit. Oh, don't worry, you don't have to change. All you have to do is say a prayer, say it with your mouth, and maybe cry a little bit, raise your hand, and then you're good. Go live your life as you've always lived it. But that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is change that happens. There is disruption that takes place. We should not be the same. In a couple weeks, I'm super excited about it because there's this moment where, where Jesus says, stop it. Stop it when it comes to sin. There's a time that we're supposed to stop it. There's a time that change, a disruption in our lives is supposed to happen. And it's not negative. It isn't negative. This is one of those positive disruptions that change our lives forever. And I don't know about you, when, I, when I'm sitting and I'm thinking about what if I hadn't? What if I hadn't made a decision and I had to stop myself because I could just see where my behavior and where my life would have gone without him? But God's disruption and change in my life changed me forever. Just as we have seen with Nicodemus and the woman 
at the well, Jesus changes everything. And uh, at our membership class on, on Wednesday, we had, a, we had a great time. And, well, at least I did. I can't speak for them. Something that I, I said to him and something that I've been writing a lot, just this little phrase, and, and it's your relationship with Jesus means everything to us. Your relationship with Jesus means everything to us. So many times in our lives we get hung up on noise and arguments and symptoms of sin when the core issue, the core issue is the fact that they haven't made Jesus Lord of their lives yet. And maybe some here, you believe it, but you haven't gone from belief to now taking the step and following Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus means everything to me. So I want, to, I want you to think about this for a second. Think of your relationships with people. So not, not just as a church that we say your relationship with Jesus means everything to us at Life Assembly. It's true. But what now you if you took that as ownership for yourself, when you think of the people that, even the people that you would consider your enemy, people that are working against you, people that you have a hard time with, would your dialogue change, would your mind change about them if you thought to yourself when they're maybe treating you poorly, they're talking just down to you, and you think to yourself, their relationship with Jesus means everything to me. It changes things, doesn't it? Somebody you're having a hard time working with, and you think, their relationship with Jesus means everything to me. How can I treat them different? How can I change this situation right now for the glory of God? As we see here in John, salvation is key. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends. He came so we may have life. And then, like, like we said last week in Hebrews, that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. He is the exact representation of who the Father is. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is salvation, friends. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus because it is the most important decision you will ever make and your relationship with Jesus means everything to us. Would you please stand? I don't know how we can talk about John chapter 3 with me not asking the question, are you a follower of Jesus? We're going through the book of John. We're, we're going to be looking at all the writings of John, all five of them. And he said in John 20 verse 31, this is the sole reason why I wrote this book, is so you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's the only reason why I wrote this book. I saw it. 
I was there. We are reading an eyewitness account. John is the only disciple that was not killed early. John is the only one. And I, isn't it remarkable that when Jesus says that it's done, Jesus is on the cross and he looks down and he says, John, I want you to look at your mother. Mother, look at your son. By the words of Jesus on the cross, it preserved the life of John so he could take care of his mother. And not only that, so he could continue writing as an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. If you'd please bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to ask the question, if there is anybody in here that needs to go from a believer to a follower. Yeah, you believe. Yeah, you've heard sermons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ, meaning you go from knowing to becoming. So I'm just looking out here for a minute. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Salvation has come to this house today. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.